isn't working. The tally stick went to hell. You know, there's no more gold and silver in the treasury. We got to sell it. Why don't we do paper money? No, it did not happen that way. It happened because these bankers figured out, let's go see the king. We'll let him do it. And this is what's going to happen to us. We're going to print this money. We're going to issue the paper money as debts. They're like coupons. It isn't money. It can pass as money, but that's all it can do. It's like a transvestite. All right? A very attractive transvestite because you can get away with that. But it isn't the real thing. It isn't money. All right? And what did they do? They also wanted to be able to print more, but not like the king. The king wanted to just spend more. How do bankers make a living? Bankers make a living by giving loans. This is a great way to earn a living. You don't have to do a damn thing. Except be rather judicious in who you're giving the loan to. That's all. That's all. So who do they start with? The king. By name. What a great way to start. We'll loan it to the king. All right? And he's going to pay us interest. All right? Because that's where the vig was. It's the mafia. Why do you think the mafia does what they do? For the income. For the vig. For the interest rate. The only difference between the mafia and the bankers is the bankers institutionalized it. The mafia was on the outside. All right? And they could charge higher rates. They just wanted to squeeze it. Well, the bankers in England were smart. They don't want to squeeze too much. They just want to keep this thing going. They want to keep this thing going. They had a goose. This was a, truly the golden goose. You had a pad it. You, if you kept this goose well fed, groomed and everything, you could, I mean, my God, James, we don't ever have to work again. <laughs> you know? We could live in those manners. You know? We could live in those manners. We can wear those wigs, drink those tea. You know? Instead of sitting on those hard benches. You know? People looking down at us. People looked down at bankers before 1694. After 1694, they looked up to them. Why? These guys were the fount of money. This morning we had a discussion. Why do people keep making the mistakes same over and over and over? And I thought about it while this discussion was going on. And I thought about it. I said, because of the things that are scarce in life, it's money and love. Okay? Money and love. And if you could put any of them on tap, you got, you got something going. And the bankers put money on tap. They put it on tap. All right? They were the source of money. It happened to coincide with the Industrial Revolution, where there was a tremendous amount of new things on tap. This wasn't like during the Middle Ages where, you know, you had thieves and, you know, land holdings and stuff like that, and a few guys going to Constantinople to buy some silks. No, this was the beginning of an era. All right? So, this is what the bankers did. With their paper money, there were three foundations to the bankers' paper money. One, confidence in the paper. Confidence in the paper. All right? Because without confidence, they couldn't, if people didn't trust their paper money, if they didn't like their coupons, they couldn't get out of the gate. So the bankers made very sure, very far, they, they were certain. Why? Because their intent was not to rule the world. Their intent was just not to have to work and let other people work, that's a great incentive. You know? I mean, 
when you go to a banker, don't you feel that little funny thing in your stomach? You know, you hand in your loan, guy's sitting there looking at you like this. You know, like he's trying to smell that you that, that second deed of loan really belongs to your wife that's not yours, and you're trying to get a loan on it. Do you think you'll find out? All right? That's how they got it. They loan you the money. All right? What they're doing is they're giving you a coupon. And as long as that coupon stays in play, they're making interest off that coupon. When that coupon is turned in, when the loan's paid off, shred up, it's gone. Okay? So it was very important to the bankers to keep confidence in their paper money. I mean, Martha and I went to the Bank of England. You know, and, but we felt sort of like um, uh, infidels in the Vatican because our motives weren't pure. We wanted to see their story. And they had the story of paper notes and all through history. I think we're looking at it, you know. And they talked about, in the beginning, counterfeiting. Well, you know what they used to do? Because these were pieces of paper. And the English are very enterprising people. So other people just started making, I can make them a piece of paper. So when they caught them, they stuck their heads on a pole and stuck them in the public square. Now, who did it? The bankers? No. They don't get their hands dirty. The king did it. Why? Because if the bankers couldn't pull their thing off, he couldn't have their money. So the bankers just went to the king and said, listen, you know, so-and-so-and-so uh, and -so -and -so is printing this stuff up. Stick his head on a pole. And he sent his people out there and did it. You had confidence in paper money. They had a reserve backing, just like the Sung Dynasty had. All right? And they kept it as best they could. But just like the Chinese, the it got tilt, and it was always because of war. It was always because of war. All right? When expenses ran out, they always went back and they were strained. But this is the, the British kept that confidence in paper money for a long, long time. That was the first thing they had to do. The second thing that the bankers had to do was keep the balance of credit and debt in system. We were talking about business cycles this morning, all right? There's a clue to the answer. And it comes from the fact that business cycles never appeared before 1694. There's no mention of business cycles through in the Middle Ages. The closest thing you have is seven lean years, seven fat years in the Bible. All right? There's no expansion, bust, contraction. No boom and bust. No boom and bust. They put credit into the system. Things got good. They outran themselves. Debts collapsed run out, and it would start over and over again. This is why the Americans really didn't want, Thomas Jefferson didn't want a central bank in America. He figures a plot. He figures a plot for the bankers to end up with everything. He figured that these boom and bust cycles were manipulated by bankers to take everything off the table that everybody owned. Now, I don't have a high opinion of bankers, but I don't necessarily have a low opinion of either. I know what they're about. All they wanted was the interest. They don't want to run everything. They just want that steady income so they don't have to work. All right? So they didn't go in there and flood it out so all of a sudden all you guys are kicked out of your houses and bankers own everything. That was just an unintended bad consequence of too much credit in the system leading to defaulting debt and the bankers ended up with everything. Because they weren't going to give you the money unless they, were, they had some collateral. All right? The, the king, it was cool. 
All right? Everybody else, it was this way. It was And it didn't get into loaning money on houses until the Great Depression, when their system broke down and they had to find a new way of repriming the pump. All right? Borrowing short to lend long, that's housing. That, and that's why it was the last thing that they went to. All right? So this is what it is. You had this very tenuous connection between credit and debt. It was a balance. And the bankers had to be intuitive about it. All right? The, the, the central banks had to sit there and sort of feel their way into it. Are we letting too much out? Should we pull back here? There wasn't any formulary. There were not only making up as they went along, but they knew that there was a connection between booms and busts. They didn't want the bus. So they would let it out for long and then try and pull back. But it was very hard to determine. I mean, we were talking today. Why can't we learn? Well, the industry that has the highest rate of foreclosure is construction. I mean, these people, what is it, 92% failure rate, bankruptcy rate? Everybody knows it. Every contractor knows. His cousin went broke, got foreclosed on, lost their house. And he's out there doing the same thing. The banker who's loaning the money knows there's a 92% foreclosure rate. So he's loaning it out, trying to be judicious, okay? The, the, the construction guy just wants to make a buck. He thinks there's an opportunity. So it's up to the banker to, make sh to give either the loan or not. But when things are going, they're giving that money to everybody because things are, that's one of the things about booms and busts. You can't tell until it's too late that you went too far. It's like getting AIDS. <laughs> All right? That's the deal. So you have one, confidence in paper money, one of the pillars. The second thing was maintain that balance that you really don't understand. There's no formula between issuance of credit and the amount of debt that happens. Debt, what a wonderful thing. Now, what is debt? Well, it's many things to many people. To the debtor, it's an obligation. To the banker, it's a stream of income. All right? To the debtor, it's an obligation. To the banker, it's a stream of income. The banker doesn't want you to default. He wants you to be able to keep that income stream going. It's in his best interest to have you healthy, prosperous, and working so he doesn't have to. All right? But debt is always the consequence of credit. This coupon is a carrier of debt. It's offered to the users as credit. In truth, it is a carrier of debt. Bankers are merchants of debt, and that's how they make their money. But in a world where love and money are not in abundance, if you are source of either one, you pretty much got the game. And that's what the bankers pulled off in the West. Nobody had ever done it before. Before the bankers came along, interest was pro basically prohibited by every religion. All right? And after it, all of a sudden, the guys who lived by charging people interest, who lived by it, <coughs> they're wearing bespoke. So bespoke. I would assume that it's bespoke was a, a term popularized by bankers. I mean, these were the people who, who, who rose up. 
Why do they raise up? Why, how do these people rise up? Because the government paid off their debts by going to war. The corporations paid off their debt by paying off borrowed money to expand their enterprise. And they really weren't giving it to mom and pop businesses. They weren't giving it to you to buy a house. All right? You guys were way too unstable. They kept it with government. That was number one. And business second. All right? So you got... Confidence in public money, number one. Two, the balance between credit and debt. And three, they had to constantly grow the economy. Why? When you see these uh, politicians saying, <coughs> uh, we're going to grow our way out of this problem. <laughs> you know, we're going to grow our way out. Why? The devil's whip <coughs> in capitalism. Because capitalism is another word for modern banking. After communism, capitalism became synonymous with free markets. Synonymous. But they're not free. When the only chip you can play with in that market is issued by a bank, let me assure you that market is anything but free. When the only means of entry to the game of commerce is a chip, is a coupon issued by a bank. That game is anything but free. It's not manipulated by the heavy hand of the government. You know, some well-meaning guy is going, you know, to each, you know, the hardest worker, you know, let's split it up this way. You know, let's make all wages equal. Oh, what a bunch of crap. I and mean, Judith knows about that. Poor lady had to live like that. You know? I mean, she grew up in the communism. All right? This was bogus. Communism was capitalism's best PR. Because next to communism, capitalism appeared free, and they were. They wanted free markets. Why wouldn't they? they if everybody could go for it, if everybody could work, for it, they were going to make money off the interest. They didn't care. They wanted freedom. But they wanted you to play with their money. They wanted their coupons, their money, to be the only means of entry to the arena. And they issued that money to their friends, to the powerful. That's how capitalism works. We didn't end up in 2012 with the term 1% having an extraordinary amount of meaning that it never had before. Now the bankers didn't say, you know, at the end of this, we're going to be the 1%. The bankers started out with a modest goal. Let's just loan as much as we can and live off the interest so we don't have to work. All right? But this thing was so phenomenally successful, it took over the world. Why did they take over the world? One, the king of England could fight his wars on credit. Okay? He could go knock over country after country after country on credit, and as long as they took them over, they sucked that country's wealth out so the English could live like, uh, like lords. They call each other lords. You know, little poofy hair, you know, and walked around like this, snuff stuff, you know, and thought they were better than everybody else. They weren't better, but they had a lot more money. All right? That's what they did. And they had to keep that thing going, though. This is the third thing I want to talk about. That credit turns into debt. And when it turns into debt, it turns into debt at a constantly compounding rate. The extraordinary thing, and the difference between a banker and us is, 
when we go to sleep at night and we have a loan, you wake up owing more money than you did when you went to sleep at 10. That's extraordinary. What did you do? Nothing. You want to sleep. All right. I mean, you had some dreams, you know, whatever. And you wake up in the morning. And if you check your asset-based balance sheet, holy shit, I owe more money than I went to sleep. All right? But we don't because it's normal. Now, the bankers, when he goes to sleep, he wakes up richer. What did he do? He went to sleep just like you did. But he wakes up the richer, and you wake up the poor. It's a wonderful game they figured out. Marx was wrong. He saw there was inequity in the system. He thought, ah, oh, this is so, he, you know, made a hero out of a working man. These guys are going to rise up and, you know, and throw over capitalism. It didn't happen that way at all. It didn't happen that way at all. What happened was, capitalism failed. England could not digest or eat two of the largest countries on the planet. Feudal-based agrarian economies, Russia and China. Like, you know, I mean, having a highly industrialized army or country and having a feudal-based society that had agriculture, it's like having a pit bull and a chicken in the ring. All right? That's what it's like. It's real unequal. That's why England spread its empire over the rest of the world. But China was just too damn big for them to swallow. And so was Russia. Now, the Chinese and the Russian, the young kids, I, I want to tell you something. The world did not say, oh, here comes the British. We're going to have the rule of law. We're going to have tea. We're going to have justice. They thought, holy shit, they're going to take us over and run our countries and buy everything up. All right? And if you couldn't get away, they had you. What was your alternative? You couldn't do a thing. They were far more powerful. They had a game. They had the game that had not yet run its course. All right? And so how communism took hold is you had these kids going to college looking at the English or the West going, we've got to do something. All right? They're college kids. And there was this guy who wrote this thing, Marx. They're blah, blah, blah. They're going, That's how we do it. We've got to do something. So they got a, a base of people who believe in this thing which got them at least together under one banner to oppose the Crips. That's who the British were, the Crips. All right? They had little pipe music, you know, when they showed up in blue, you know. But that's who they were. They were a street gang that went and mugged everybody they could. And once they mugged you, you had to use their paper money, you had to play their game. And what they call free markets, I love free markets. Free markets, this is what they did in Turkey. The Turks said, we don't want to play the game. Bought into the British Navy, ba-woo, Turks, we now have free trade. <laughs> all right, they went to China, all right? And this is where England was really weak. The English had developed certain tastes and they had the money to pay for it. History is destiny. They love tea, they love porcelains, and they love silk. And the Chinese grew tea, the Chinese made porcelain, the Chinese made silk. But the Chinese, the Qing Dynasty, had it up to here with paper money. They knew what this stuff was. They knew the trouble. So when the British came along and go, uh, here, we'd like to buy some tea, here's some tea. Don't play that game. They go, hey, man, it's money. No. <laughs> no, no, no. Hey, everybody else uses it. 
<laughs> what do you want? Silver. Silver. So they got him some silver. And then they had to get him more silver. And then they had to give him more silver. And this is where you had this huge flow of silver from the west to the east. And the British go, this is screwed. We're doing something here that we have, don't have to do with anybody else. This is screwed. We, they, the Chinese, they said, here, buy some wool gabardine. We make the finest mills in the world. Our British mills, our British woolens, the finest. Everybody's wearing British gabardine. Chinese guy. <laughs> British go, what are we going to do? And some guy goes, you know what the Chinese like? It's opium. And we can get it out of India, who we own. And if we could get the Chinese to buy opium from us, we don't have to give them that silver anymore. This is balance of trade. This is balance of trade. And the Chinese go, nah, we don't like opium either. All right? So they fought two wars. Rammed it down the Chinese throat. The Qing Dynasty on its knees, gave it up, British finally had their balance of trade. All right? Now, this is what happened. That was in the middle of the 19th century, 1850. There's two opium wars fought. Why do capitalist-based economies have to keep expanding? Because constantly compounding debt has to be paid off. If that economy stops expanding, you cannot pay off constantly compounding debt. You have to expand ad infinitum. Ad infinitum. All right? So how did the British do it? Well, for one thing, they took over half the world. And they started from a small base. It wasn't like China having to expand. I mean, my God, what if China had to expand? That's a lot of work. All right? But England had this dinky little island, and they just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Expansion was wonderful. And they fueled the Industrial Revolution. All that stuff paid off. It paid off, it paid off, it paid off. Plus, they had all these countries they sold into. The economy had expanded, expanded. It was, a, it was a banker's paradise. And then the empire quit expanding. It was like all of a sudden you're running it. And you can't go any further. All right? 1870, British balance of trade went negative. By the end of the 19th, of 1900s, the British had to switch their navy which was the basis of their, their, their power across the world. And they had to switch from all these wooden ships in the metal, in the warships. That's expensive. This basically tubed the British. By the end of the, uh, the, end of the 19th century, the Brits were in trouble. They're, they weren't in trouble, per se, but they had stopped growing. Now, the bankers, these were really smart people. They understood, one, you have to keep public confidence in paper money. Two, you had to keep the balance between credit and debt, so it worked. And three, you had to keep the economy expanding. Number three went, went out. And if any one of those goes out, it takes down the other two. It takes down the other two. So what did they do? They had some time to think about it. And what they decided to do was go to America. They went to America. 1913, put the Federal Reserve Bank in, a carbon copy of the Bank of America, and they were, they thought, man, we got a new lease on life. The difference is, is I had a conversation with Sandy about this yesterday. The British, as he knows, are very, very restrained people. I mean, they're, they're very restrained. They, they're not out there, they're not, you know, they're just very restrained. 
No one has ever said that about the Americans. No one. All right? So all of a sudden, into their lap lands this goose. This goose that the British had nurtured. The British had gleaned it. They had pampered it. They powdered it. They washed it off. They fed it as well as they could. And that goose was wonderful goose. Ends up in America, and the Americans go, man, we ought to eat that motherfucking thing. Look how fat it is. They had no respect for that goose. But they knew what the goose could do. What happened is, between 1915 and 1920, they expanded the money supply so much that it set in motion the Roaring Twenties. The stock market went off to the thing. 1929, it collapsed. It, it collapsed so hard, it put the world into a massive deflationary collapse. 1913, 1923, 1933, the depth of the Great Depression. In 20 years. Who said Americans can't do something? <laughs> 20 years. The British had kept this thing going. You know, they had forgotten how to work. And in 20 years, the Americans blew the damn thing up. Feathers all over the place. <laughs> all right? My God, what do we do? What do we do? Well, one thing they did that year, 1933, they made it illegal for Americans to own gold. Why? Because it was so bad, it was so screwed up, that they were forced to do something that the British had never, ever done before or were forced to. And the reason why they made it illegal for Americans to own gold is that in times of monetary distress, I don't care whether you're in China, I don't care whether you're in India, I don't care where you are, Africa, you're going to go into gold and silver. Just to safety. You don't care about growth anymore. You want something liquid, marketability, saleability. You don't care about anything else. All right. But when you take those assets, when you take those chips off the table in the banker's system, the leverage disappears. They set it up that for every coupon in the system, it's sets more in motion. So all of a sudden, not only did you have deflationary collapse in demand, is that investors got freaked out and decided, I'm going to buy gold. I'm, I mean, the banks are going broke. I better save my money. So Roosevelt advised by Bernard Baruch. This is a wonderful man, what he did. You know, people talk about the, 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 the confiscation of gold by the government, and it did happen, all right? But there was a loophole. Private ownership of gold in America was made illegal. But if you had your gold in Europe, that was a loophole. As right before that legislation got passed, tremendous amounts of gold were leaving New York for Europe. Tremendous amounts of gold. All right? The purpose was, was to keep Americans from going into gold, taking their money off the table, making the deleverage in the system even more severe because not only would you have deflationary collapse in demand, you had a deleverage of paper money itself and it would really sink everything. The bankers were really in trouble in the 1930s. So what do they come up with? Well, you know, home ownership. What are you going to think of? Home ownership. All right? Well, people don't trust banks either. Oh, man. FDIC. You know? Put a sticker there. FDIC. Your money's insured. You know, they came up with a lot of things. They did a lot of things in the 1930s to try and get that goose up again. That goose had his legs up in the air. You know, I mean, he was, he hadn't died yet, but he was not moving. 
All right? And my God, it wasn't over yet. Hitler saved the system. Hitler! It wasn't Ben Bernanke, some clone back there who figured out how to expand the money supply. Hitler came along. He screwed up the game so bad that all the debts got wiped out. The West went to war. Demand got set in motion again. And it started going. And when they finally took out Hitler, that, that moribund, moribund economic machine that had stopped expanding, its heart was still beating. Not a lot, but it had a pulse. All right? And it didn't have a pulse in 1937, 38, 39. It had a pulse in 45, 46, and 47. And not only did it have a pulse, the United States had the largest holder of gold in the world. 21,775 tons of monetary gold. No country in the world had that much gold. That gold, with that pulse, allowed the United States to start that machine again. And it took off. But who was in charge? The Americans. Those people with no restraint. And what they did, the boys in power, they loved the idea of being in power. They already were the world's dominant country. Everybody else in tatters. They owned the world. I mean, they had everything. They had empire without having to fight for it. It got put in their laps. You know? But the Republicans are right. If you don't work for something, if you don't fight for something, you don't value it. Generally. Somebody who inherits his wealth doesn't quite have the same feeling about it as somebody who earned his way there. <clears throat> America inherited the trappings of empire. Inherited it by circumstance after World War II. And so what they did is they wanted more. They put troops all over the world. And in 20 years, that hoard of gold was overspent. Not only did they overspend the 21,775 tons, they owed far more when they finally shut the gold window after the British came in and gave them a $3 billion bill. They owed far more. All right? So what happened is, the little thing between the government and banks blew apart. Not because of the bankers, because of government. Wanting to go to war. 